Welcome to Dead Headspace, a part of Silver Shamrock's Horrorcast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead, where we exhume classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. Audio listeners, I am currently wearing a Ron Kelly t-shirt. It covers his uh, six years with Zebra Books. Zebra Books, if you're unfamiliar with them, not a problem. We mean Brendan War too. I would advise you horror nerds to check it out. Uh, but he has his eight covers that he did. He wrote ten books in eight years. The two weren't published because they closed down Zebra Harline. But the T-shirt covers the eight that were published. It's a really neat shirt. He's got other shirts, other masks, uh, other merchandise. The very best way to reach out to him and get one of the shirts is to find him on Twitter, on Instagram, or Facebook. Twitter is Ronald Kelly Four is his username. I am your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brent LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody, and I'm so sorry that Patrick called you nerds a minute ago. <laughs> With love. <laughs> Today, we're talking to the author of Below, amongst many other books, Kev Harrison. Say hi, Kev. Hello there. <laughs> You're so friendly. <laughs> Hey man, congrats on joining the Silver Shamrock family. Like that's before Brian and I uh, became a part of the network for Ken uh, for his podcast network. We were really big fans of his publish uh, the publishing company, and for good reasons they they have a good thing going. And we read below, and uh, you, you're part of that for a reason. So congrats on that, man. Thanks very much. Yeah, really exciting for me, actually, to be part of Silver Shamrock. And like, just to echo what you guys were saying, I think they've done some really interesting things, have taken some uh, some stories that maybe other other publishers wouldn't necessarily have, have taken chances on and which have then done really well and got really great stories out into the world, which is, you know, what we are all here for. Absolutely. Um, Brennan, jump in before we ask our baseline question, but uh, just my... What I've noticed the two years that they've been up is, you know, you got people from all over the world with all different stories. I I would never hear if I was still in the East Coast of the U.S. And uh, I love it. And the anthology, man, like every every year, it's my opinion that's the anthology to be in. Um, Brennan will be in that, and it has been announced already. So you both are in the family of Silver Shamrock. So congrats on that. Brennan, why don't you take over, sir? Yeah, I, I mean, I would echo what you said. They, uh, there's a variety to their catalog, and there's certainly some books that, um, you know, with with the uh, editor, with, with Ken Kane, there's, you know, some stories in there that um, not every indie publisher would take a risk on uh, because they believed in the author's original vision and they believed that with a little guidance, you know, there's, there's potential there. And, you know, when you put out two buck, uh, two books a month, it's really hard to, you know, make contact with the ball on everyone, but it's, you know, they've been, they've been doing it for a while now and it does seem like there's a whole lot more hits from that catalog than misses. Um, and that's, that's commendable, I think. Yeah, definitely. You know what? Um, I haven't. We haven't recorded an episode since I came back from Scares of Care. So if it's all right with you, Kev, I just on this subject I'd like to talk about super quick. It's related sure. to Silver Shamrock. Uh, you know what? I just noticed uh, Ken let me sit at the table and just represent the 
podcasts and whatnot. And uh, it was pretty cool. There were a lot of people at the table that were excited to talk about all the books I had laid out. He basically laid out the books that the authors that were unable to make it um, have have representation for their novels, anthologies, and whatnot. And it was really cool meeting people in person. Uh, Ken was telling me I wasn't there for the last day. I had to go back and to my home and uh, saying that Tom Atkins stopped by real quick, uh, main actor in Silver um, Heart. <laughs> I can't talk. Halloween three, where uh, Silver Shamrock that name derives from. So, if you are unaware of what Scares of Care is, if you're listening to this and you're like, I wonder what that is, I would check it out, Google it out. It's a really cool con. It's a charity event, and there's a lot of friendly people there. So let's dive into you. All about you, Kev. Sorry for taking it away from we, you. We've completed the obligatory Silver Shamrock ass-kissing portion of the program. Yeah, Ken, Ken, Ken's going to pay us money for this, so that's what I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, Kev, what got you into horror, man? Well, um, uh, negligent parenting, which I think is not actually that uncommon. No, it's uh, not. So, like, uh, you know, horror movies uh, being rented out with other, like, sort of family favorites as well. Um, and my dad just, like, you know, showing them in whatever order. So, like, you know, typical eight, nine years old, like, it's Saturday afternoon, let's watch Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, or let's watch The Howling. Um, and that kind of stuff. And then uh, that, that film kind of obsession kind of just continued also quite a lot of like sort of ghost story tv and stuff in in the uk uh, i remember ghost watch when i was about 10 like scaring the living crap out of me um <laughs> and then reading wise like also again negligent parenting my dad and my uncle lived with us for a while when i was growing up and uh and they, they had like a bookshelf of james herbert stephen king mm. and i would just start dipping in again from like sort of eight nine ish i suppose i didn't understand like all of the thematics of the of those books at that age but it certainly gave me this hunger for dark stuff what uh books specifically do you remember you know diving into early on that made an impact um i've talked about this before actually uh and the big one for me was uh the rats by james herbert um which you know as, a, as an eight-year-old i think i picked it up eight or nine-year-old i picked it up because you know cartoony sort of cover art of this you know grotesque rat sort of you know like bits of gore sort of spread around behind and i thought oh this will be fun and um when i read it i think i found it less fun than i had imagined because the horror like kind of uh different different elements of the horror kind of were there that i wasn't necessarily expecting like you know like claustrophobia uh, when everything came down like uh the emotional lives of the characters as everything was going to shit like um this kind of stuff, you know, like was, was the stuff I wasn't prepared for and the stuff that really scared me much more than like, you know, rats eating corpses and stuff. <laughs> I got a question. It's the only question for tonight from a, uh, well, I can't really call him. He does listen, so fuck it. He's a listener. We got a question from Mr. McKinley. He said, how did an Englishman end up in Portugal? Ah, okay. Well, that's a good question and quite a long question, I suppose, um, because like when I came out of university, I had that thing which maybe some of you guys uh, can be familiar with where you just like go, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do now. Um, and so I started doing a job like working in a telecommunications company that I was already working at part time, just doing some you know crappy weekend thing. Um, and I got into financial stuff. So I was doing like financial analysis for about 10 years in different companies in telecoms and utilities. And then I realized like I hate this. Like, I really, really hate this. 
Um, and I also had a lot of issues with a lot of elements of UK culture. Um, and so I decided I'm just going to take a redundancy that was offered to me and do a teaching qualification. And then I went to Turkey and then Poland and then Portugal and then went, ah, oh, this is home. Awesome. And there we are. Wow. Wow. So, OK, let's pick that apart. So yeah, that's, a, that's a lot of stuff there. Sorry. <laughs> no, really. Uh, on you. <laughs> I'm genuinely very curious and like different points of your phases of uh going from one country to the other so first off is what about the uk is it that you're not a super big fan of uh quite a lot of stuff um but especially like um this is gonna sound really weird but like uh not feeling particularly safe like when you're just going about your daily business like really it's really yeah it's really interesting because like british culture like if you're out in the street like on a wednesday afternoon like it is really safe in most parts of the country like you can do whatever you want but because of the relationship that british people have with alcohol which is a really not good relationship like if you go to most town centers like of an evening say friday saturday by about 9 30 p.m there's going to be a lot of people staggering around like blind drunk and a fair few of those are spoiling for a fight. And um, and it just became so routine for me, like either to avoid town centers at the weekend, which is kind of ridiculous, um, or to like just always be mindful that like you've got to watch everybody in case somebody shows signs of being the guy that if you catch his eye, he's going to say, what are you looking at? And then be swinging for you. And, you know, I'm not a big chap. I am not well uh prepared to defend myself and frankly don't really want to have to either just like you know on a regular yeah. evening so that that kind of really ticks me off um also you know the other things that are obvious like the weather cost of living is very high that kind of thing you know but those those are kind of like day-to-day issues but the, like the violence thing is something that i really thought was just normal and then i started traveling and i went to places and i was like huh no violence here. Let's go somewhere else. Huh, no violence here either. How strange. Um, and then I thought maybe it just is like a, an English thing. So, yeah, I just thought. What, where about in England? Like, were you in London or were you in another city? I've lived all over, really. I've always traveled a lot. So, like, I grew up in uh, Surrey, which is like just southwest London. It's kind of like posh commuter town for the city uh, of London itself. Uh, and it was pretty bad there. Then I went to university in the Northwest Midlands. So like between Birmingham and Manchester, if you have any idea about UK geography at all. I, I um, know Manchester's, that's a big city, isn't like it? Like Northwest, yeah. So um, so that was, again, the same. I've lived in Birmingham. I've lived in London. Probably London was the safest I felt, ironically. Um, uh, and I think it's because it's such a melting pot there. You know, like in London, there are so many cultures. Like I remember working in an office once in London with 43 staff and there were 34 nationalities among those 43 staff. So you kind of don't get the same level of like that English, let's get shit faced and fight each other kind of thing. Um, so yeah, uh, so I kind of lived, yeah, I think I lived in about seven places in the UK overall and it was mostly the same. So I've scribbled down next to your name, not a soccer hooligan. That's yeah. good to know. But I do like um, I do like football, just not the fighting. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I was, was going <laughs> to ask about that. That makes me think of that uh, Elijah Wood movie, Green Street Hooligans, oh, Green Street. which I fucking love it. But I wouldn't want to be in that movie. No, uh, uh, us, us Boston boys, Dennis, uh, Larry in particular, would say uh, they're douchebags. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I could not agree more. 
Yeah, we got that here too. It's a big reason why, like, I got a lot of Irish pride. I'm from uh, a town that's 30 minutes south of Boston. I've never been to a St. Paddy's Day parade in Southie, South Boston, which it's very, at least it was heavily populated by Irish Americans for a reason. There's a lot of drunks, and I'm a big guy, and I've quite literally been called out randomly by strangers. Uh, Hey, hey, you big guy or whatever. They they have come up and tried to fight me. So I avoid those situ- situations, too, because I ain't Joe, Lan- Joe Lansdale. I can't I can't whoop ass. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> as, far as, a, as far as a major martial artist, maybe I'd look at things differently. I don't know. But, but I am definitely <laughs> do, not. Do people actually start fights by saying, hey, there, big guy? <laughs> uh, it just came to me. No, but there was this one specific time right in him, Walmart parking lot. They, if you're not from the area, you're going to be like, where the fuck is that? doesn't matter. But uh, they just said, uh, hey, they said, hey, four eyes because I wear glasses. And I looked at them like I was buzzed. My friend wasn't drinking. I was. Uh, and then I was like, what the fuck? And they came up at me. There was a group of these douchebags. And uh, I just told them to go fuck themselves. My friend's like, let's get in the car and leave. Some more came. I said the same thing. And we got the fuck out of there. <laughs> like, fuck yeah. these guys. <laughs> uh, you you embody that culture. Good lord. Yeah, so, I, have Kev, a, you, I have a face I, I think, you just want to punch. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to argue with that. So, <laughs> Kev, I think the first place you mentioned outside uh, of England was was Turkey. Is that yeah. the right order? So, That's what yeah. brought you to Turkey? Well, I I got this uh, teaching qualification, and um, I was looking for jobs, and there was a job going uh, in Turkey in a place that was like uh, I think it was like three or four kilometers, which is about two miles from uh like one of the top five beaches in the world and i was like that could be appealing um so i applied for the job and uh went through the whole process i had an interview and stuff on skype um there were some things that seemed like sketchy about it but i contacted the uk government and like everything they said like yeah that's all exactly as it should be all above board so i took the job uh quit my other job like well took redundancy and then yeah booked my flight and just went uh the end of may 2010 20 no 2011 2011 and uh yeah, it turned out when I got there that it was less than above board. So basically, I did my three months uh, initial like sort of uh, work there as like a probationary period, I guess, in this, in this really nice school. And the funniest thing about this is that the school was like a $10 million campus. So it was amazing. It had like this amazing swimming pool, basketball courts, like AstroTurf football stuff, like amazing technology for teaching in every classroom all air conditioned, which thank God, because it's really hot. Um, and then when I came to that three months, I was like, so about changing my tourist visa to a uh, to a working visa, because that's how it works. You have to do like a period. And then like once you're in the system, boom, done. And uh, the boss just said to me, like completely straight out, like no trying to hide it. He said, look, it's much cheaper for us to bribe the police than it is to pay for your visa. And I was like, I see. And uh, if I get sick, if I like have to go to hospital, he's like, Kev, come on, you're 31. You're very fit. It's not going to happen. You're going to be fine. And I was like, that's that's really like less than fine. So um, so I was there three more months and then got the hell out. And that's how I ended up in Poland. But yeah, I have a great love for Turkey. Like, uh, yeah, really nice place. Uh, obviously, a lot of problems there right now with kind of semi-dictatorship. But what can you do? <laughs> So compare contrast that to Poland. How did you like living there? Loved it. Everything was above board uh, from the moment I arrived, like everything proper and official. My schools were the schools I went to in Poland were training schools, which kind of specialize in taking people who've recently qualified and then like getting them from that point where you can survive in a classroom to like kind of 
really doing a good job and adding more value to the students. So that was a really, really good experience for me. Um, I really liked it, even the winters, like where, like the winter it can get to like in, in Celsius, get to like minus 35, minus 36, something like that, which <laughs> is like really cold. Um, it's kind of like the cold where you walk out of the house and you know, like you, like your nose starts running and then like within less than a second, it has frozen into like sort of glob globules of snot ice. Uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, That's nice. Exactly. That's the very stuff. Absolutely. Um, and then, uh, but but the reason I ended up leaving Poland after three years was that like their currency is not the euro. So their currency is like what we call a soft currency. So like in Poland, I was earning enough money to like go out to dinner twice a week with my friends, go out drinking at the weekend, like buy myself nice stuff. And then if I went like five hours west to Germany, I could spend a month's salary in two days, which was not ideal. So I needed to get into a country with hard currency, and that's where I went to Portugal. Did you meet your wife in Portugal? I did indeed, yes. After about a year of living there, met her and was like, aha, this is the one. Like, And it really was like, it's a bit ridiculous, actually, and a bit kind of like a bad, bad romantic comedy film. But we actually like talked about like uh, the possibility of like marriage and stuff on the third date. Which nice. Is, madness and i'd had a lot of long-term relationships so i wasn't just like uh, desperately hunting for anything i could get hold of um it was just like just so obviously different and so obviously much more positive than other relationships that immediately so i was like okay sold done i mean within two weeks of dating my wife i wanted to tell her i loved her uh, you just know when you know you know that's it man that's it exactly that yeah 100 percent so let's talk about Portugal, man. What is it about that country that feels like home? Um, I think like they have a very uh, deep understanding of like culture, I guess, like music, food, art, soul, poetry. This kind of stuff is like very present in the day to day, which I think is really, really nice. Yeah. Um, like Lisbon area where I live, which is around the capital. I, I don't live exactly in the capital. I'm about 15 minutes outside now. Um, but the capital has like a type of music called Fado, which like um, it's like F-A-D-O. And this is kind of all about this emotion, which we don't really have a translation for in English, which is called saudade, which is like longing for something you don't have. And so it's kind of very melancholy. It's very emotive. And like that spoke to me like really straight away like when i heard it i was just like yeah i, I get that yeah that's awesome yeah. so with i'm, I'm all gonna these... jump in real quick man ahead, um, i it. actually uh in my master's degree i i studied and did a project on fado um oh, wow uh, amalia rodrigues is uh, oh my gosh like something else even huh? something else uh if, if you you know, don't have an understanding of the soul and the heart that gets poured into that music. You don't need to listen to a lot of her music to gain that base understanding of it. Um, and, and it is something that is not super well known outside of that area of the world, but it's it's beautiful. Yeah, I don't think it's something you can listen to like all the time on repeat. I think you'd go crazy. Um, but like at the right <laughs> moment, you know, like uh, it is, it, yeah, it's something really spectacular. So, yeah, absolutely. If you're ever over in this, over that way, then let me know. I'll take you to the Fado Museum. If I sounds, am. <laughs> that sounds pretty neat. Um, you know what? That kind of, it's not music, but it's art. Uh, for my 30th birthday, there was a narrow window when Americans were allowed to go into Cuba, specifically through a cruise. 
and my wife brought me to Cuba. We went to a few other areas um, down there, but the art, we went to Havana. It was gorgeous, but a lot of it was impoverished, so it was super heartbreaking. And yeah, sure. also, it, it induced my anxiety at one point. We are in this flea market, and everyone's trying to get you to buy their shit. But there was this one area, I don't remember his name, but it was a super famous uh, artist, and um, he had this whole building it was his art style, and it's just it, it was throughout the city, and it was really it was different. It was really neat, and you were just like transcended into a, a Wizard of Oz, or you know, I mean, an Oz, or you know, a just different a completely place. different world, almost. Yeah, like a Wonderland or something tr- almost trippy. Like you're you're like, when did I get high? <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I, I'm curious with all these countries, all these experiences. How's that affected your writing? Because certainly I'm sure it's affected your point of view of the of life in general. Uh, I think that's that's a really good question. And I think like um, it definitely ties into like what I want to write. Um, and I think also like one of the things I really like when I travel, because uh, not just not just places that I've lived, but I guess more so in places that I live because the opportunities are so much greater. Uh, but I really like being able to talk to people and say, you know, Who's who's the local hero, like, you know, from from myth or, you know, what monsters live in your forest, that kind of stuff. I think those questions are just always really interesting. And I think they tell you a lot as well about like what's going on in that culture um, in some sense or what has gone on indeed in the past, perhaps. Um, and so, yeah, I try to bring those things in. I mean, like the balance of my first novella was set in Poland and, mm-hmm. you know, that came about through a really deep understanding of like what it was to live in the cold war, which I got through just talking to people who'd been there and done it, you know, who'd like queued up for sugar when they were like five years old, you know, this kind of stuff or six years old or whatever the age is when you start. Um, and, uh, you know, going out to the wilderness in, in that country is just quite different to like the UK, like, um, and, and same in Portugal actually, because like in the UK, there really isn't that much in the way of wilderness. Like uh, maybe if you go to Wales or if you go to Scotland, there are some places where it's wild, but certainly England, where I've spent most of my life, like it's so built up. There's so much residential and kind of commercial property there that like, you know, you almost sort of entering one place before you leave the last. And so getting an idea of like what will, real wilderness feels like a wild place where, you know, you're kind of like going, yeah, I'm not the top dog here as a human. Like I need to be respectful is like a really interesting perspective to have had. And I guess you guys understand that a lot better coming from the US where there is so much more in the way of wild places. Well, yeah, you know what? That's really neat. Also, I love that question. What monsters live in your forest? That's such a cool question. Um, all right. So Brennan and I are from Massachusetts and let's see West Massachusetts, even in our areas, there's certain places where there's decent dense woods, but for really deep woods, I mean, you got West Massachusetts, the West side of Massachusetts. That's, the joke, at least amongst my circle of friends growing up, was um, you got Boston, Salem, Plymouth, and then you got uh, uncharted territory, which was the west part of that state because it's like all mount- there's mountain lines and shit. Uh, wow. V- Vermont, it's go- my friend has a place and it's called East Corinth or Corinth. I forget exactly how you pronounce it, but it's where they shot a lot of Beetlejuice and uh. It's just a lot of greenery, a lot of woods. But then you want to talk about some other type of woods. You go to Maine or New Hampshire. Yeah, man, you're <laughs> you you are not the top of the food chain. Exactly. Yeah, it's terrifying. 
it gives you a totally different perspective, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Brennan, why don't you go ahead, sir? Yeah, I actually, I want to talk about the balance. And as soon as Pat asked that last question, I knew, you know, that was probably going to lead us there. Mm -hmm. um, it, it certainly reads like the type of novella that you could not write living in, you know, the city in, in, in England. Um, so I, I'm curious, I'm very interested in, in Baba Yaga as a character. And most of my knowledge comes from... Uh, you know, Baba Yaga makes a lot of appearances in the Hellboy comics. Uh, I think they're, you know, the the newer Hellboy movie, which I couldn't bring myself to see. Uh, it, 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 she's a focal point. Uh, I'm wondering what the local, how the locals treat that lore. Is it a campfire story? Uh, is it more? Yeah, I mean, I think like, um, uh, certainly when I was in Poland, I had some friends of mine give me uh, books like children's books from their own childhoods to read like when I was learning language because you know children's books are a great way to get lots of new vocabulary quite quickly but also most of, most of it is like kind of tangible stuff that you might use day to day so um, it was a really nice way for me to do it I would like translate that into English give it back to them and they would go like no you've got completely the wrong idea here this guy actually kills this guy and I'd be like damn it um, but yeah you know eventually kind of got there um, and in, in one of these books that I got, it was just pure sort of Slavic folk myths um, that were from around that region of Europe. So like Poland, Belarus, uh, Lithuania, um, Ukraine, those kind of places, just lots of myths from that kind of Slavic region of Europe sort of condensed together and told in sort of Polish for kids, as it were. Um, and so what I found really interesting in that book was that there were two stories involving Baba Yaga. Everyone else, there was, you know, all the other mythic characters had just one story. She had two. And in one of them, uh, it was the kind of classic trope of like dark witch waiting in the forest. Uh, and it had the whole chicken leg house. It had the, you know, cauldron bubbling with, you know, mysterious goop that you probably don't want to drink. And then she encountered a girl who had, you know, been immoral in inverted commas and, uh, you know, like it, it didn't end well for her. Um, but what I found really intriguing was the other story of Baba Yaga that I read, which was basically where she was like, like amoral almost like sort of morally ambiguous, like not, not sort of, uh, like the bad guy or the good guy, but instead was literally just this thing that did what had to be done. It did what had to be done. That's correct. Yeah, uh, did what had to be done in order to um, to like balance the role of humanity and nature. And uh, just this immediately like grabbed my attention and fascinated me, and kind of went down as something I would come back to. And so, yeah, that's that's very much where the balance came from. Now, I I have a question, and I'm not a hundred percent sure that it doesn't go into spoiler territory. So I'm going to ask you for a synopsis, mm. quick elevator pitch, real quick. Okay, so basically, um, the balance begins with um, a young girl called Natalia, um, who has uh, been out watching her brother, but not watching closely enough. He breaks his leg. Um, he needs treatment. And because it's the Cold War, there are no antibiotics in their tiny village. So she seeks out Baba Yaga for help. But uh, that is just the beginning of a spiral of bad, bad things that happen. <laughs> All right. So you didn't cover my question. I'm going to ask it anyway. And if you consider it, a, no, it's OK. <laughs> if you consider it a spoiler, we can we can ditch it. Sure. Um, I was very interested. And again, my my knowledge of this, you know, folkloric character is very limited. But I was very interested in 
Baba Yaga as a mantle as opposed to a singular person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you mentioned there were different, uh, you know, in this folklore book, in this children's folklore book, there were different tales revolving uh, around her. Is that something you came across or something that you brought to it? I'll give you another example, actually, um, uh, which comes from real life. And this is like a bonkers, bonkers example. Um, I have a friend of mine who's uh, Ukrainian. And when she was a kid, um, she had, I can't remember if it was nightmares or something that that was kind of to a level where it was out of hand. You know, it was like something that was like really causing her problems. I believe it was nightmares. Um, And she was like under 10, like eight or nine years old. And after sort of, you know, her parents like trying various sort of home remedies and this kind of stuff, they literally said to her, okay, we're going to go to see Baba Yaga. And there was a woman at the edge of the forest who was that role. And she did this thing, which like this thing sounds absolutely mental. She put like a bucket over her head and then like did some like chanting thing and like poured some blessed water with stuff in it, like over the bucket. So it didn't go on her head, but like kind of splashed over the bucket. And uh, like weirdly, her nightmares did stop. But, you know, she's like reasonably skeptical about whether like this was the solution or whether it's just something that she was going to you know where it was going to wear off anyway um but yeah so that that there are people or certainly there were people within my lifetime who have taken on yeah who, who are called this this title and uh treated as kind of like you know a guide in in, the, in these kinds of cultures especially in the rural areas what, what's yeah. your theory on it uh do you think she was real or do you think it was coincidence all in her head that that was basically a um what's that called a fake pill that you oh, think were, yeah what, what are your thoughts on it i mean i i kind of have some I have, a, I have a difficult relationship with like supernatural things um like because i've seen some stuff in my time that i can't really explain but at the same time i'm like you know stone cold atheist like uh you know believe that when i'm dead i am like pff, worm food and that and that and, you know um what's the word, like atomized and uh, annihilated. Um, uh, but I do think like certainly there are some things like, you know, natural remedies and things that are becoming more recognized by modern medicine, for example, as having like effects on people. So I think I think, I think the world has kind of gone from like everything is, you know, soothsaying and like, you know, drink this disgusting plant mixture and you'll be fine to like 100% science and drugs and chemicals. And now it's kind of going... Actually, science and drugs and chemicals are a really, really good basis for everything. But you can actually use this stuff as well to help with certain things. So, yeah. So, but I mean, that 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 ritual sounded bonkers, and I'm sure had no bloody connection to her stopping having nightmares. Yeah, that was that that was the version of you know, hey, you wrote a ghost story. Do you believe in ghosts? So, sorry, <laughs> sorry to take you down. <laughs> no, that no, path. no, 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 it's good. One, it's good one. Hey, what are you saying, man? I'm 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 a total professional. You hooligan. <laughs> Audio right, listeners, so, Brennan's giving me the finger. Go ahead, buddy. <laughs> well, now I have to do it or otherwise I'm you know, going to be deemed a liar. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, when I read this book, it, it very much and I think it's down to, you know, the main character being a younger girl, as you talked about. And of course, her little brother being a very focal point as a uh, focal character as well. It had this air of fairy tale. And I have to imagine that's something that you were going for. You know, there are a million ways to write that story. And not every one of them has to kind of read as this, you know, almost campfire tale uh, to be passed down. Um, 
so I mean, big question, but you know, talk talk a little bit about writing it with the idea of fairy tales and how fairy tales play into your writing. Yeah, I think fairy tales, like um, like I said, folklore for me is like something I'm really fascinated by wherever I go, and um, and so because of that, like it being a fairy tale just felt natural to me in in that it was based around folklore, um, and. I think as well, like, you know, uh, thinking about readers and I, I don't try and think, tend to think about readers too much when I'm writing, but I tend to think more about me as a reader, you know, like my ideal reader, i.e. me. Um, I was thinking about like, you know, like one of the main characters of that book for me is the setting. It is this place that is isolated and like uh, one of the themes that kind of comes around through the book as well is like it starts in, you know, this winter that you know, was something that really shocked me when I experienced that for myself for the first time, having come from a relatively temperate kind of climate. Um, and then as the book progresses and the story kind of develops also like, you know, nature kind of comes back to life in some sense. And I felt that was very intrinsic to that fairy tale element as well. So, yeah, I mean, that was very much the approach. And I don't know if you've had a chance to read my collection because I know you guys like interview a lot of people, have to read a lot of books. Um, but like in the collection, there's a story called The Solstice, which is based around, you know, very much again, uh, absolutely fairy tale setting based in this time in the north of Portugal on a on a still extant um, sort of folk practice that happens around the winter solstice and, you know, going very much for the same vibe. So, yeah, it's very, that will be a, continue to be a feature of what I write. Why don't you plug your collection in? Tell us the title, who it's out by, if it's self-published and so forth. It's called uh, Paths Best Left Untrodden. Um, and I put it out myself, but under um, Dan Howarth's uh, press label, which is um, Northern Republic. Uh, so far, there's only his collection and my collection available there. But I think, I hope they're both good examples of decent, decent work. Um, and the stories in there uh, range from about 2017, which is when I first started taking writing really seriously, uh, up until I think like mid to late 2020. So it's a kind of, it's a fair slice of like what I do. And I think I tried deliberately, like I dropped quite a few stories that I originally was gonna put in because I wanted to have like a variety to showcase sort of different, hopefully strengths uh, of my like writing catalog i suppose so yeah there's a bit of sci-fi there's a bit of dystopian uh, there's some folkloric stuff and so on that's a good segue actually dan howarth he uh, for those that listen to this is howard uh, this is howard how- <laughs> <laughs> that ain't even a blooper i'm just keeping it in here uh <laughs> this is howard the podcast with michael david wilson now bob pastorella uh dan was one of the first three original uh hosts it was three people i forget who the third one was john costello john costello i think it's john costello i don't remember man i've only listened to a few of the the first season he said he doesn't have seasons wherever i first few episodes i don't know what you call them (laughs) Um, yeah dan howarth was one of the first before bob pastorella took over like 100 episodes later um why don't you tell us about dan man let's plug him yeah, Dan's a really good writer. Um, I'm actually reading a book of his at the moment um, f- as a beta read. Uh, and I just read one chapter because I only got it like last week. Um, I read it on the way into London. And holy shit, this book is going to be something if it continues this way. Um, I mean, his collection, I think, is really, really good. Uh, one of the things I think is really amazing about Dan's work is that quite often he will 
you'll kind of read the story and you'll think, I think this is going here, but it can't go there because that's much too horrible. And then he's like, no, no, I am absolutely going there. And <laughs> uh, and it's it's not like horrible through sort of graphic, you know, gory descriptions, like extreme horror. It's just places where you're just like, I don't want my mind to go down this particular path. And thank you for taking me there, you complete bastard. Um, so yeah, like uh, one, there's one story he did, which was on, which was performed wonderfully on the other stories, which is a podcast from a group called Hawk and Cleaver, who we've both had quite a few stories with, um, called Collaboration. And it was just about like a, an, an experimental artist who has lost their mind and uh, they collaborate with some people maybe kind of against their will um you just it's only about two thousand words i really recommend reading it his collection is called um dark missives it's got a really cool luke spooner cover but yeah again i really recommend it i think every story in that is like superb so i, I really recommend people picking that up i like luke's art um let's go back to dan's book can we know what the title is so we can know what to look for Yes, yeah, dark missives. So that's oh, the that's, uh, title. That's yeah, yeah, it's an unusual title. Like, um, but it's because there's one story in there about like a delivery driver, um, and that's kind of the focal point of the cover. When with some stuff spilling out of the van that relates to some of the other stories, it's really it's really cleverly devised. Actually, the cover, as as you said, Luke's like brilliant. So Dan went to him and said, "I have an idea," and Luke went, "Do you mean this?" And he was like, "Well, no, I meant something far inferior to this, but uh, I will take it." Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Brandon, maybe you know, Kev, maybe you know uh, the answer, but didn't he do the cover work for Andy Cole's Remains? He did. Uh, yes, that was, um, I believe so. Yeah. What a great fucking book, man. Yeah. I oh, still, yeah, I, I really loved it. I read that like a year or two ago, and I still like, it still gets under my skin, man. Anytime you're dealing with a kid in an unfavorable situation, I'll leave it at that. I mean, yeah, he I think really, the emotional punch of that book was. Uh, I, yeah, same. I read it two years ago. I won it in a giveaway. Hurrah. Um, nice. And uh, I read it like uh, over about a day, I guess, like well, like one sitting, maybe two sittings in the same day. And uh, yeah, the grief gut punch, like which just keeps on coming, is brutal. And even when you show the very end of what happened with uh, what led to all this, um, <laughs> it just still fucks with my head. Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> Before I even was a dad, I read it. And now that I'm a dad, it fucks with my head even more. So, yeah. Uh, so let's talk about This Is Horror. You're a staff writer for them. Uh, how did you hook up with those guys to, to be a writer uh, on that site? Well, weirdly enough, actually, I've known Michael since about 2007. So uh, Michael Wilson. Um, so we had mutual friends um, around the Midlands of the UK about the same time uh, through actually through listening to heavy metal music, really, and uh, just hanging out with a bunch of guys that – we're in bands and stuff. And um, so he always knew that I was interested in creative pursuits because I was in a band. I was a screamer. I used to write lyrics for the bands that I was in. And um, and yeah, we, we met up that way. And then when when I started sort of thinking about writing more seriously and especially getting into like indie horror, uh, the person who was doing the news and uh, must read horror sex segments on This Is Horror Every Week had to step down because he had like some family commitments and he was like, do you want to do it? And it's actually been the thing that I've really loved about that experience is that I have been exposed to writers that I probably never would have found without a, a huge amount of digging, but they actually come to me now and say, Hey, there's this new novella out. And I'm like, Oh, look at that cover. I must read that. And, uh, you know, just encounter so many more creatives 
through through that experience. So it's been really, really positive for me. You know what? I felt that way when uh, Brent and I were uh, with Deadhead Reviews before they died. And uh, I feel like that with this podcast, too. It's pretty cool. It's like you put out a light and it just draws in not always, but a lot of the people that you would never know of, but you are glad you do. Yeah, 100%. So let's talk about how you were on their podcast. Uh, that episode hasn't aired yet, I don't think. I didn't see no, it come no. up. No, it's, I think there's like two more in between, maybe some of that, like before it comes. So whatever you're comfortable with telling us, if anything, um, how did that, how'd that go? Was that your first time on that show? Yeah, it was my first time talking to those guys uh, in that way. It's really funny because I know Bob and Michael like reasonably well <laughs> from like, working with them for the last like four or five years uh, right. and Michael for much longer. Uh, but I think it was good. I mean, I think like this show, I think it tends to be a kind of a fluid conversation rather than being like just questions. And, and I definitely think there is a place in the world for just questions as well. Like I think just yeah. Q&A interviews are really useful too. But mm -hmm. I think that natural conversational approach like often leads conversations to some interesting places and often means that people are getting more out of it than necessarily just a plug for a book or just like writing advice or whatever, you know, it can kind of transcend that kind of format in some sense. Oh, we love that show. I'll speak for Brent here. We've talked about it a lot privately and public uh, on the show. That's uh, that we view that. And at the time, Brian Keene show as like the two best podcasts out there. Um, and yeah, they, I appreciate that. Thank you for the kind words. That's specifically what we intended on doing uh, to get to. Because for me, um, when I list, started listening to podcasts, I got to know the person behind the art. And I, if I found the person interesting, I'm like, I want to know what they create. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So, I mean, someone listening to this, our goal and hopes are... You know who's Kev Harrison? Let's find out. Oh, he's got a pretty interesting life. You do, man. You've you've been in some pretty neat countries. We haven't talked to anyone that's been to Turkey before, or, Port um, or even Portugal, or Portland, to my knowledge. So that's really interesting. Brennan, you got any uh, questions? Uh, I don't know. Good segue. So you got any different questions? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually I'm actually still stuck on. Uh, you know, I'm imagining you coming out in front of a metal band or a punk band and just very politely and you know cheerily greeting the audience and then launching into these Cookie Monster growls. <laughs> so I, I, I'd like to know a little bit about your music history. Well, I started off uh, in a band when I was about 14, 15. Like some really good friends of mine in high school. Um, high school in the UK is like sort of secondary. It runs from like sort of 12, 11, 12 to 16 or 18, depending when you leave. Um, and I had some really good friends and we were, we kind of got together through our love of like rock and metal music. And then, you know, it kind of became quite natural for some of them to sort of pick up instruments. I was really not the one for that because I have no musical talent at all. <laughs> um, but I can make a really scary noise. And if you met my mother, you'd know why. Um, so uh, so that was my line. And also because I'd always done like sort of a lot of narrative writing, like I took to writing lyrics quite a lot. And like the lyrics in the songs I wrote tended to be quite narrative based. And again, like things like folklore came in, things like sort of supernatural entities that kind of stuff just things that have always interested me uh came into that and so that was the focus of of those lyrics and yeah we gigged a lot like we gigged I, I must have done easily 200 gigs with my first band desolation and then i joined another band called ruins of amber uh when i left desolation because i was too far away uh with some other friends of mine and uh yeah had a really good time with them as well lots of touring 
couple of demo CDs cut, that kind of stuff. Yeah, really, really good fun. That's awesome. Now, ho- horror and, you know, uh, that that type of loud in-your-face music definitely go hand-in-hand. Hand. So mm-hmm. if we have any vocalists or aspiring vocalists listening, because I, I, I was in your position at one point. I ended up uh, singing for a band in addition to playing bass because nobody else wanted to. Uh, actually, <laughs> how I ended up on bass as well. We had three guitars and no bassist. So, right, you know, right. I drew the short straw, but, uh, <laughs> I, I'm curious, how did you, uh, what, what routines did you take to avoid losing your voice while making scary noises? I think warming up is really important. Like, um, it's funny cause I run now as well. And like, I'm really, uh, I'm really conscious of like the fact that when I was younger, perhaps I wouldn't have taken like advice to like warm up before, before screaming, before running, whatever. Uh, but like, as you get older, your body less and less forgives you for that stuff. Um, so like, I definitely think like, I mean, after some time I started to take that warming up stuff more seriously, especially if we had, if you had like a period of 11 days with seven shows. And if you don't warm up on the first three, then by the time show four comes around, it's like, you're not playing sense. So, uh, uh, so yeah, that became really important. So I think, I think that's the big thing, just like warm up sensibly, uh, lots of fluids, not just beer um and uh yeah it makes a big difference oh and stay away from dairy dairy is terrible because it like Uh, increases mucus production yeah Yeah. exactly man exactly i'm getting my tonsils out tomorrow and and that's uh that was advised that don't eat ice cream because you don't want to produce phlegm or whatever you know what man there's a lot i think i feel like i would have been in your group of friends because specifically like i love rock my dad grew me up on like uh vinyl rock albums from the 70s they were always as close to 100 percent. i can say this either american or Eng- english based england based bands my favorite bands led zeppelin i also love the who for heavy metal, you know, you got Asking Alexandria and this band called The Architects. And then Swe- Sweden's got a lot of killer bands. One of my other favorite bands is In Flames. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, something about Europe where you guys produce a shitload of talent. Well, that place uh, in Sweden where In Flames are from, Gothenburg, there was this whole, yeah. in the 90s, the Gothenburg sound was like the, the thing in metal, really, especially in like technical melodic death metal, which is what we were aiming to play. So I like bands stuff, like man. Melodic yeah, metal. In Flames, Dark Tranquility, At The Gates, all these kind of bands were like on regular rotation. Dissection as well. Just oh. couldn't get enough of that stuff. Is that one I'm thinking of? Something Warhammer? No, not Warhammer. Oh, God. Uh, oh. Something Hammer. And also, how, how the hell? Oh, Hammerfall. That's it. Hammerfall. Uh, how to forget the uh, the god, uh, the godfather of metal, Ozzy Osbourne. I love yeah. that guy. Yeah. He's, he's working on a new album. I don't know how he's not dead. I mean, like, how is he? (laughs) I saw, I brought my brother for a birthday, uh, for his birthday, got me and him. I think it was the 40th anniversary of Quadrophenia for The Who. And we saw them in Boston back in like 2013. And um, it was Roger Daltrey singing Pete Townshed. And uh, then the drummer was Ringo Starr's kid, Zach whatever wow. their last name is <laughs> but i'm just listening to them man and i've listened to almost all their albums there's some that i haven't heard some of the studio albums i haven't heard but uh i'm just thinking like this guy he's like 70 something and the album came out when he was i don't know his 30s and i i think he sounds just as good it's how the hell do you do that at that age yeah, yeah. maintaining your voice maintaining fitness as well just to be like on the road and just not giving up the ghost i mean like 
I don't know about you guys, but when I don't sleep in my own bed, I mean, I'm 40, 41, 42 this year. And like, uh, you know, it's, it's a really different thing nowadays. Like the things I used to put my body through and just like wake up and feel fresh as a daisy. Now I wake up and I'm just like the pain, the pain, death is stalking me at every turn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I went down the scares by myself for two days and, uh, it was fun. I had a blast, but like I came back here and I missed my son and that was the first time I haven't been spent the day with my boy in the two, yeah, almost yeah. two years he's been here and I miss my wife. But, uh, thing about being on tour internationally uh you got to be built for that kind of lifestyle um and then one more thing about when you're younger i was in my 20s when i was a merchandiser for this company called polar beverages they're big in the east coast it's just seltzer water soda and whatnot i would get hammered the night before i'd still be hung over while i was working just sweat it out i'd be fine in my 20s yeah. If I do that, if I do that now, I'd be like, "Oh fuck this! I don't want to go to work." <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, writing lyrics versus prose. Uh, all three of us have done it. Both. Um, I'm curious to pick your brain, Kev, and I actually want to hear your thoughts on it too. To there, Brennan. Um, what is it about writing lyrics that uh, spoke to you? And what's what? What are some really noticeable differences that you got to adjust uh, your styles from? lyrics to prose that that you've really taken away after doing both um well well i think like i grew up doing quite a lot of poetry when i was a teenager so i think that kind of lent itself quite well to lyrics anyway um i think with like moving from lyrics to prose like uh like i said i think lyrically i tended to write stuff that was quite narrative focused anyway so i think that was like useful and the other thing that i brought over from lyrics that i used quite a bit in my prose is alliteration so like when you have like the same sound at the beginning of like several words like in, either in a row or like in the same sentence to kind of get like some sort of rhythmic elements to it um uh so i suppose that's the biggest thing i take over a lot of the other stuff from writing lyrics you kind of have to chop away because like unless you're writing poetry like having stuff in meter you know unless you want to be like emulating like virgil in the roman empire or something it's just not really applicable to day-to-day prose writing what about you brennan what do you reckon you know what? It's I. I was thinking about that the whole time you 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 were going, and uh, I, I I one big thing I echo is the poetry. Um, I had uh, a teacher in college basically say, if you want to learn how to, even if you think you don't like it, if you want to learn how to write lyrics, you've got to divulge yourself in in poetry. Um, I remember there was there was one that I picked up that uh, it, Octavio Paz, Paz or Paz. Um, a Spanish poet um, that I got a lot of, even even with the English translations, you get a lot of rhythm out of that, uh, and you learn how to kind of adhere to within a certain form. But as far as comparing prose and lyrics, that's a tough one for me because I'm you know newer to writing prose, and it's been a long time since I played in a band and wrote lyrics, so. It's very difficult to compare the two when you've worked on them in such different stages of your life. So I'll I'll leave I'll leave that to the experts. <laughs> makes sense. Makes sense. That's fair. For for me, um, when I wrote lyrics, basically me and my band, me and my one bandmate at the time were just trying to punch the listener as hard as we could with <laughs> powerful imagery in a short amount of lines because it's you only got so many lines in one song and it's really that 
you know, it's the uh, instruments, it's the instrumental side too that'll take the your fans away. So that's, I mean, to compare that to pros, it comes down to lean, uh, lean storytelling, uh, narration, pacing. Uh, I'm still working really hard on that to become better at those mechanics. So I'm by far no expert, but that was my take. Um, they're both fun. And I totally dig the whole poetry thing. I think there should be poetry in, in prose, too. Um, really diving into Peter Straub has taught me that. That you can write. It doesn't even have to be graphic, um, very gra- like extreme gore or whatever. But you can write the most horrific scene. But if you write it with like your soul, to me, that's poetry. I think that's a really fair comment. Yeah, absolutely. Brennan, uh, you want to take us away in a new direction, bud? Yeah, let's uh, let's jump into. We've been doing this for almost an hour, and we have barely talked about below. So let's go there. Cool. Uh, now, my my first question was, and kind of still is to a degree, uh, what was your inspiration for this? But you mentioned earlier uh, you, the rats and claustrophobia, mm. and I wonder, in addition to whatever other inspiration, did that play into it? Yes, certainly, like that is the one feeling that kind of stayed with me from reading that book at such a young age. It was it was something that I remember feeling that was just unpleasant. Um, also, when I was in Poland, um, I had a student, a one-to-one student, who was uh, quite a big cheese in a, uh, a big mining company. And he actually uh, one day invited me to go to a huge coal mine um, in in the next province over, basically, from where I was in, in Poland. And that was a really eye-opening experience. Um, because uh, the heat, I had no idea about that at all till I went there. Like the fact that the temperature goes up as you go down, like that didn't make any sense to me because I'd been to a few caves, but like generally they sat kind of at room temperature because they were kind of at ground level. Um, so to go down there and feel that heat and that humidity was really, really surprising. And also like, um, yes, claustrophobia, but also like a kind of darkness like that I had not experienced before because like, you have like imagine you have like these floodlights all over the whole thing because it's like a modern mine right it's not like these crappy old ones you know where like just people are dying left right and center they want to keep people alive um so there's lights everywhere but like the 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 best way i could describe it is like the the light kind of attempts to eat into the darkness and doesn't get very far uh it's just so weird like light just kind of dies like because the dark is so oppressive and it was just such a such a bizarre experience, like having like a head torch and like going, this is like, you know, brutal, like powerful halogen, like, you know, don't stare at my face because I won't be able to see shit. And then like you put it down the tunnel and it's like, yeah, it's gone in like three, four feet. It's gone because it's just so dark. So this this was an experience. That I, this was my first year in Poland, actually, it's like 2012, 2013. Um, and that really stuck with me as like a, an, an experience like that. I thought, yeah, one day that's going to come out of the toolkit i want to before we go back to the story i want to talk about that cover that's that looks like a film cover i imagine keelan did that on purpose but can you tell us what because based off of hearing brennan's uh process with silver shamrock and how you go about a cover you basically give an idea of what the book's about and he comes up with something. So can you tell us your process with the cover? Yeah, so I think it was quite similar to what Brennan's described on the show previously. Like um, they give you like a PDF with an example of someone else's book and say, this is what we've done with this this book. This is how it kind of came about. Give me some ideas. So I gave him 
the like sort of three protect well sort of three central characters i suppose like there's one i guess there's one or two protagonists then like one extra central character who's quite important as well so i tell him what they were about where they're from what they look like etc um told him about the antagonist and then sort of said like you know it's in an old gold mine like there's a lantern which could be an interesting focus but i mean i didn't have a bloody clue like visual arts wise like i am <laughs> so hopeless like i'm the kind of guy that like you know in my class i'm trying to describe something to my students i like draw a dog and they're like why is there a horse on the board and i'm like, <laughs> I'm like fuck you guys this is the best i can do um so like so i so i really had no clue and then like uh i'd done the final edits with uh kenneth kane and sent it back to him and he was like yeah cool done fine here's a proof and then the next morning i woke up got to go to work and this is my uni job in the uk where i'm working really early in the morning so i'm just like you know like brain dead and um and there's this email from ken mckinley and it just says like what do you think of this idea and i was like what what and like how did he do this from my like bullshit basically my bullshit is like it's dark a bit dark there's some dirty walls I don't know. And then he's just like, here is the best cover of 2021. Is that okay? And I'm like, that will be fine. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't know how the guy does it. I mean, he's just uh, like, uh, and, and, and like how he continues to do it. Because I mean, if you look at like the covers he was producing like five, six years ago, all amazing. And now he's, without repeating himself, all amazing in 2021. It's just like something else. <laughs> We mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, they, they put out two books a month and, you know, there's there's very few misses and the covers are the exact same way. Every, you know, there are certainly yours is a standout. It, it really is. But none of the other ones are are, are, are slacking either. <laughs> find, yeah. Find me a bad cover by Keelan. I, I don't think you can. Like, I don't think it's possible. Yeah. Or even uh, a mediocre he, cover. <laughs> even his... I'm struggling to word this and I'm just going to say whatever's coming to my head. Uh, even his not so great ones, they're still really good. That's it. Exactly. Like there's not one mediocre one. It's like, it's like, Oh, this one is only 7.5 out of 10. Well, shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to throw this out there when we've talked to you for a while, Kev, about coming on. And I always just thought it was, I don't even know if I voiced this to Brennan. I always thought it was really neat. I'm like, we got at least a listener in Portugal. That's fucking cool. Um, <laughs> you were, to my knowledge, one of the first, uh, some people steer clear of this because it seems egotistical. I don't mean it like that, but you're, I would think it's safe to call you a fan of the show. And yeah, yeah. I listen pretty I, much every week. Like, so, yeah. I mean, I tell Michael David Wilson often how much I love his show. Um, I consider myself a fan of that. But you were one of the first where we're like, he's an author. He, he listens to the show. It felt cool. And I don't think I ever told you that. Uh, so that's why I waited till now. But it meant a lot. And uh, you have never left my mind for having this talk one day so appreciate thanks it. Thank you. yeah that that's one element or layer of uh, what fuels me to continue so it's kind like of I like said, a, i think sorry to interrupt i think i think like i said with, with this is horror like you're kind of getting like i definitely get writing advice out of this show and like you know listening to definitely the peter straw episode the other day i mean he's just like dropping like bombs of gold all over the show um but i mean some of the some of the conversations you have you know like the writing advice is a bit thin on the ground but then there's always something else you know whether that's like you know just uh how to 
live your life as a good human being from some of the people you've had or like, you know, struggles people have had that I don't understand or I maybe have never thought about. And just like being able to digest those and like just take different perspectives on the world. I mean, I sign me up for that shit every day of the week, you know. Me, thank you. Me and Ken McKinley, uh, like I said off here, we were talking yesterday for a while, just shooting the shit, talking the craft and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And and we were talking about like just how you can find when you dig to the core of anyone, even if you really don't like someone or they don't like you, put all the emotion bullshit aside you can find common ground somewhere, even if it's as superficial as like, and that might not even be the right word, but I like this sports team or, or we both like seafood. What do you like about it? And then you could, if you put bullshit aside, you could have a good conversation with someone. hundred percent. Yeah. That's what this show's taught me. Like just listen, you talk about your experience. That's what I love as a person. And, uh, it makes me want to read more of your books. Thanks, um, man. Yeah, so for Below, I'm going to dive back into that because my favorite thing about that, am I allowed to talk about... <sighs> well, cut, go t- for it. Tell me to cut this out if uh, I give okay, away okay. anything. Sure. Am I allowed to talk about anything dealing with the grandfather? Yeah, I think so. So I'll just leave it very vague. What he ends up being, what, mm. what Nicholas discovers him to become... Um, <laughs> I can see Ken, Kenneth Kane and McKinley were talking about what he, they're talking about the types of books that they deal with. Oh, and this is a fun fact for anyone that likes Silver Shamrock books is I didn't know this until I met uh, Ken's Kenneth Kane's wife in person, but she reads every single book. She's a proofreader. I didn't mm. know that. So she's a big she's one of the big gears in the uh behind the scene side of silver shamrock and so, she catches um, stuff even that kenneth misses you know because like kenneth kane i mean his eye is like you know like very he's like got that thing from the terminator where he just like scans it and <laughs> it just like it flashes red i think but i mean she catches stuff even that he misses so you know yeah definitely she is a key individual in that process i never uh, you know again never knew that until uh they were just talking about it. but they were talking about um they're like oh well kenneth was Kenneth King really loves talking about like how certain things come back and um, how he likes how certain themes aren't discussed. And then, you know, everything's cyclical. But one of them, they mentioned what the grandfather in your story is. And they're like, oh, we got this one now with uh, Kev Harrison's book. I'm like, wait, what is it? Oh, shit, that's in my Kindle. So I got really excited. Then I read about it. That monster is my favorite part of the whole book because he's so creepy, man. And you just like, at least part of me when I was reading it, I was like, oh, I hope that he's like going to do something nice. Or it turns out that he's just like really confused because he's been locked in a cave for decades. But you got me, man. He's so fucking creepy. Brendan, what are your thoughts on the grandfather? I thought that was brilliantly done. Um, I And the lead up to it with, with the... Uh, I guess the drop-ins of epistolary format. Mm. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of that idea of, you know, something's lurking in the dark, you know, because of the genre you've picked a book up in <laughs> and the fact that it's underground, no offense, man, but if there wasn't something lurking in the dark, I would have been disappointed. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it, it's almost like an unwritten promise. Um, and the way that the monster stays off screen, but remains a focal point for a fair portion of the book, 
that's how you do it. Whether whether you're you know whether you're reading or whether you're watching a movie, I that's it's going to make the payoff mean a whole lot more when the payoff comes. Yeah, I can't remember who I was listening to uh, uh, on This Is Horror a while ago actually, um, and I, I think it was no, I think it was actually when we were speaking to Shane Hawke on uh, Ross Jeffrey's YouTube channel, and um, and he said. Uh, this thing that I thought I thought was really really accurate, which is like as soon as you see the let's say werewolf, because he was talking about a werewolf werewolf in this case, um, as soon as a werewolf appears in front of you, you know your decisions become like okay, do I have a weapon? Can I run? Uh, you know, can I distract it? Whatever. Like it becomes like sort of this you know like regular decision making thing. Whereas when you don't know what it is that you're facing and you just have like snippets of sensory data, that's when you're like. Oh shit! Oh shit! Oh shit! Because you don't know what you're facing, so you can't make any of those decisions. And so that was kind of the reason I left it like that. Like, and and also I tried to throw in a few like references to other things that it might be, but it isn't. You know, at different times to make people think, oh maybe this is here, oh maybe this is here, uh, but keep people thinking like, shit, what is it? Shit, what is it? You got me, man. Because like the pistol at Larry thing. I personally love it. Like I'm reading for, well, not reading. I'm listening to the audiobook uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein for the first mm. time. And you know what? When epistolary style is done well, it's just like I could listen to that shit all day. There are, it is a fine line when you can kind of make it not believable and you just like, just get on with it. But you didn't, you did not do the latter, in my opinion. You did a really good job. And there were, I wish I wrote it down, but there were some specific moments when it made me wonder, and I paused and, like, I think he did some research into, like, mining and uh, what have you. Did Was there a lot of research involved for, for that aspect of the book? Yeah, I mean, having this guy uh, who took me down in Poland, I mean, he'd explained this stuff to me, like, on a number of occasions during lessons, because often he would, like, go, this week I have a presentation for shareholders in English, and I'm shitting myself, so I'm going to give you the presentation, <laughs> and you tell me which bits I fuck up, and that was literally how lessons went sometimes. <laughs> so, um, so a lot of the technology and stuff I was kind of familiar with, uh, but some of it I had to, like, refresh, and occasionally, I think twice, I was like, hello, Mihao. Do you remember me from some time ago? I'm writing a book about monsters in mines. Please help. Um, and he was like really gracious to like give me uh, to say that this this would not happen. Or like for example, the bit about flares. Um, I was really unsure about having distress flares. I wanted it to be a limited number, um, but then I thought like maybe there could be explosive gases down there, and that would ruin everything. And he said to me that like they can you can take flares down there depending on the size of the space, and but it would always be a limited number in case one ignites another. And creates an explosion because the problem's there. So that was one thing that I covered off uh, through, yeah, asking a contact, which was very helpful. Yeah, you know what? That's a good question. I, I in my line of work, um, I deal with all sorts of gases, and that that actually that would make me wonder if you know what if there's some kind of buildup where you can't even smell it. Some gases you can't even detect. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. Plus. If you were to say no, my question would be like, how the fuck can anyone be mean to you, man? <laughs> I mean, he did get promoted, like from one of the one of the talks he gave, uh, which I corrected. So hopefully he felt like uh, he felt like in some way indebted to me. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, those are the really neat moments. And I'd love to know with you two. Um, do you guys ever talk publicly 
to strangers, not even like in a, a braggadocious way, about being a writer because I found out that I have to be careful now because I've experienced certain people that would be like, I'm a writer, and they'll just start talking about how they never did it, and I'm just like, I don't want to hear this fucking story again. What What are your... I'm sure you guys have a story. Can Can I hear at least one of them from the two of you? Brendan, do you have one? You know what? I don't, because I don't talk to anybody about it, if I'm honest. <laughs> um, I work in four schools. Um, you know, let's say average number of um, eh, 12 teachers per school plus aides plus, you know, different workers in, in there. So, you know, you're looking at 50 people that I interact with in a week. And I don't have any desire to talk about that with any of them. They're lovely people, but there's a certain stigma with writing the things that the three of us write and also working with young children. So, um, and you know, as far as talking to strangers, Patrick, I learned when I was young, that's not a good idea. That's how you end up in the back of a van. Maybe, maybe I should clarify exactly what I'm talking about. So it doesn't sound like I'm a dumbass kid. Um, for <laughs> hey, example, big guy, I'm a writer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He didn't say big guy, but he did say, Hey, Hey, four eyes or something like some dumb hey, insult hey, followed by let's fuck you up. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so my mother-in-law and my wife and my family were walking around this little like village type thing with uh, shops, and there was this one section in this uh, sold different types of foods and stuff, and there was this one literally one rack of books, and I was just looking at them, and some guy was talking about how he wanted to write a book and my mother-in-law was about to say something about me being a writer and I'm like don't do that shit and I wasn't trying to be mean but I told her after when we were out of their shop I'm like there there's so many people that say that but I, I just I don't want to hear about his book he'll never write <laughs> that's why I brought it up I mean I've heard other writers talk about that how it's kind of an irritation I didn't know if either one of you had a story like that what about I, mean, I sometimes get it to strangers from- from, I sometimes get it from students, like because uh, I because if I have like students who are like late teens, for example, mm-hmm. which is like the age group I teach probably most frequently, because I tend to teach higher levels. And in Portugal, like the English level of like the average person is like really bloody high. It's quite amazing. Um, so like I normally do tell them because I think it's a point of interest as well. Like it kind of makes you as a teacher more human, and I think that's kind of often half the battle when you're a teacher as well. I don't know about that your experience, Brennan. Um, like they kind of think that you know teachers live in cupboards and are kind of like robots that get switched on at 9 a.m. and get switched off again at five. So like I try and add in like snippets of like yes, I also am a human. I also use the bathroom. <laughs> um, and uh, but what I find quite often as well is that students will say to me like oh I'm trying to write stories you know uh, or like I had a student this year who was like trying to write a film script in English um, and she's like 17 and she's like well we read my scripts and I'm like hell yes you know like. Uh, and I try to encourage these people as much as possible because, like, I mean, to have the balls to be not just writing a film script when you're 17, but writing a film script in your second language when you're 17, I'm like, you know, if you have mistakes in there, do not worry about it. Like, do the thing, you know, like, uh, because that is seriously impressive and seriously gutsy. That's commendable, man. It really is. Because, like, she wants to do something. She wants to write a story. The only way you're going to learn if you want to do it, like, it and want to continue is if you do it. Exactly. Um. So I got to ask, and you have to tell what the entire story was, but like, what was about? Did you like it? And so forth. 
Um, it was kind of like sort of literary uh, fiction style kind of story. So not really about like, not, not very plot driven, more sort of character driven, you know, people with like a broken family, broken sort of life and like trying to cope with that. Um, quite like, uh, I guess, philosophical as well. Mm. I mean, geez, if I think about the stuff that I wrote when I was a teenager, similar kind of thing, you know, like very like um, like sort of grand ambitions, you know, think things that I think would perhaps not interest me to the same extent now because they're just a bit too uh, like self-indulgent probably is the best word, I guess. But, uh, you know, teenagers, I mean, that's that's the time to be self-indulgent, right? Yeah, dude, I, I wish I don't know how to do this at this point, but I really wish that we had a a way to connect with, um, you know, teens and young adults that want to become writers because mm. they're literally the next generation. Yeah. I haven't found out the way that the like we're on Twitter and I'm sure they are, too, but I really haven't found that route yet. But I'd be very interested in learning that, man, um, because you have a front row seat to this. And it's just it's just interesting to learn and to kind of watch what they think about and it kind of helps you you know paint a broader stroke with life too um a lot of people forget what they thought about when they were teenagers that's why being a writer is amazing um i don't think a lot of us lose that childhood approach to life because a lot of adults you know they kind of they're stuffy they don't they don't believe in the imaginative side, and that's kind of sad. I, yeah, I think like a, a sense of wonder. Like if I ever lose a sense of wonder, then just take me outside and put a bullet in me. I mean, really, you know, like uh, I it's agree. Me at that point, right? Like, uh, and so I try to encourage, like, you know, sometimes, especially in the classroom with teens, you get like a teenager who is like, you know, crazy about something, whether that's like Harry Potter or like you know that Shadow and Bone thing that was on Netflix this year. Like, so some of my kids like absolutely went crazy for that. And then you get like the cool kid, like going. Oh, you're such a geek. And I'm like, yeah, what was the last thing like you were like touched by? Let's go and find what that is, man. Because like it's she's not the one losing out here. You're the one losing out by not being not not feeling anything, you know, like not having wonder about anything. I agree. Well, then, you know, let's let's face it, that if you you know, if you uh know all your your sports stats, you're inclined to call somebody geeky for you know, uh, being a being a fan of the Shadow and Bone thing or whatever, but is that is that really any different? You know, you, exactly. you're it, it's it's you know, I guess on a broad level, society would deem it more acceptable. Although I think that's you know different than it was twenty years ago. Mm. Uh, but it's it's I keep trying to avoid using the word obsessing, but it's obsessing over mm. you know. Uh, something that interests you yeah you know like when i was growing up it was for me star wars like a lot of kids and then when i saw the first trailer for the fellowship of the rings i was that was my new star wars for me for me there's not a better trilogy movie wise or book wise and i want to say a few but like it's just so fucking good and that's a completely different world and i don't know man as long as you're not losing yourself completely where that's all you talk and think about 
it's fine. It's healthy. It's good. It's an escape because if you don't have that escape, the world's rough. It's stressful, and you're going to end up going a little, a little mad. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Yeah, I really do think so. So I'm really curious of what we've talked about today. We've talked about a lot of horror. We've talked a lot about your storytelling, your your life. Brennan's tapped into something I didn't think about before because we talk about our guests and we often show each other notes of what we're going to discuss mm. so we don't repeat each other. But um, he said something that I didn't even think about. You're, uh, you're, you step not only step into it, but you kind of explore elements of fairy tales uh, and fables. Are you going to dive more head on into that in the future? Have you given that any thoughts? Because... For me, as a as a reader and mm. someone that knows what you're capable of writing, I'd like to specifically know a lot about like Turkish myths because Mid Eastern. Uh, I'm pretty sure isn't that where all of, like humanity started in uh, that area, the Middle East. Very close. Yeah, I mean, Eastern Turkey. You've got a place called Ararat, which was like, uh, you know, like uh, the first ziggurats, which is like these temples that were built by. Mesopotamian people like, mm-hmm. like thousands of years ago. Um, funnily enough, uh, and this feels like a really, really like forced segue, and uh, I can just state here that I did not pass Patrick any money to uh, bring up this conversation. <laughs> um, uh, the, 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 I finished my first novel draft uh, in March, and uh, it is actually based in the Middle East. Um, nice. And uh, it actually comes about from something that happened to me really when I was in Turkey. When I was in Turkey, I learned to play backgammon with a friend of mine that I made there. What's that? Bloody, uh, it's, a, it's like a board game, a bit like chess, I suppose. A bit more chance involved because you use dice um, and uh, counters. And it's, it's really it's really strategic and, tra- and tactical. And if you go around like places in the Middle East, you will see like old fellas just sitting outside, smoking shisha pipes and drinking coffee and playing backgammon or tea sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was like, I don't know how to play backgammon. Teach me to play backgammon. So he taught me to play backgammon. And the first time I won against this guy uh, who had taught me, which I was like, deeply proud honored moments um this old woman came by like an old uh, um like sort of widow from like one of the rural communities near the place in turkey where i lived and um basically in like the local custom of law and also in like sort of um like uh, muslim tradition you're supposed to give like basic foodstuffs if you're a provider of basic foodstuffs you're supposed to give basic foodstuffs to widows because you know they're like they haven't got a husband to provide for them of course nowadays that's a bit, a bit questionable but whatever and so she came up and asked him for an ice cream and he was like i'm not giving you an ice cream because you know you're, you can have like some bread you can have some cheese you can have some ham no not ham because it's uh, haram but you know like whatever you can have some basic stuff but you can't have ice cream because that's like luxury and so on and um she like went crazy um yeah. And what was really interesting is she was shouting him in Turkish and there was this point in the middle of the conversation where she went into Arabic instead. And it's a very, very different language, like phonemically. So I could tell immediately she's speaking Arabic because I've been to Arabic countries quite a bit before. And um, and she was like spitting, like she was shouting so much, she was spitting in his face. Not COVID safe. This is before COVID. Um, <laughs> Not COVID safe. Sorry, and, that was uh, really funny to me. <laughs> and my mate, who's like this big strapping lad, like massive, massive fella. Um, uh, you know, lovely, but you know, you wouldn't mess with him. Uh, he just started crying and I was like, what is going on here? I don't speak either of these languages very well. Oh, my God. And he came back and he told me basically that um, that his uh, this woman had like put a curse on him, put a curse of, of a jinn on him. Jinn is like sort of a uh, Arabic genie. spirit. Yeah, exactly where the genie comes yeah. from. Absolutely. Um, and that like stuff was going to go really bad for him. And I was like, calm down. You know, it's 20, it's 2011. 
you know, we're not going to believe in all that stuff, are we? And uh, but he was really disturbed. And we went out. It's my last night in the town. Basically, we went out drinking um, at this music bar. Had a really good time. Then we came back in the in the morning, about four o'clock in the morning. And his ice cream thing, which weighed about two tons and took three of us to move, had been unchained and moved into the middle of the road. And the morning sun had like destroyed all of his ice cream. And like, I mean, I think like probably she had like a couple of big nephews or whatever. And she was like, oh, fuck up his ice cream. Uh, but he was completely convinced that it was a gin. And uh, and this is the kicking off point for my story. And thankfully, the, the novel that I've written goes in places that didn't really happen. Thank goodness. Uh, but but yeah, so the next novel I'm going to try to, well, I'm going to tidy up in the next few weeks and then try to sell to someone uh, is absolutely Middle Eastern folklore uh, and around gin. I would, I would, dude, I would love so much to read that so please keep me posted uh i just want to i just want to go back to two points uh you were hesitant i understand why um but on this show i'm not gonna look this show could be on youtube or whatever for a decade or longer we i don't know i could die and the thing could still be up so So I bring that up because uh, I don't like to shy away from what may offend a small group of people. If you're just talking about the way something is, because that's how it is. And what my point of that is in Arabic cultures, it's my understanding. It still is, I believe. It's very patriarchal. So you were hesitant to say, like, the widow um, doesn't have a man to provide for them. I mean, like... I understand the hesitancy because that's not how we are over here in the States. That's not how you guys are over there in that part of Europe. But that, mm. that, that's, that's how it was at least when she was growing up, I'm sure. In that and part I think of that's a cultural reality for her age group as well. Still. It I mean, is. Like, I think, I think like people like my age, when they get to that age, maybe living a very different existence, like you know, sure. still working and that kind of thing. Um, but yes, yeah, certainly for her, it was absolutely the norm. I only bring that up because I think it's really important to know that, uh, know the history of things and not shy away from them um and i just want you and future potential guests to never feel uncomfortable talking to us about this because i'm saying i'm okay with it i run the show and if someone has an issue with a guest saying that well they can bitch to someone else about it sure but sure, sure. the other point i wanted to talk about was the gin i only know about that because i think it was the show supernatural that first discussed it and then mm. i started to really dive into uh middle eastern uh super um uh, boogeyman uh myths and so forth and yeah. the gin was fascinating it's mm. just it's like the genie from aladdin only he's evil <laughs> Well, and gin are like really complex. There's so many different. I mean, I've read a lot about this, obviously, because I was writing a book. Um, and like, it's it's really complex. There are some that are just absolutely not evil. There are some that are really ambivalent. There are some that are really nasty, called the ghoul, uh, which is like G H U L, which is where we get the word ghoul from. They kind of live in graveyards and are just the ones that you really don't want hanging around. Um, and so, yeah, it's a really. Uh, I think it's a story that has not been told very much in like Western literature. Um, I think it's on me to not do like the people of the nations I'm representing a disrespect. My protagonist is British because I feel much more qualified to ground it in that. And also then that person could be the one that is asking the the stupid questions, frankly. Um, But I mean, there's two other main characters and both of them are Turkish. And uh, thankfully, I have friends from Turkey who are quite well, very fluent in English, who are 
have already said like once it's once you've got a finalized version let me read it and if there's anything that's like mega faux pas i will let you know you know like no holds barred so that's going to be a really useful and a necessary part of that process i think that's really important man you know what i just learned something that relates specifically to that um I'm not going to, I'm not trying to plug myself or something I'm working on, but does relate. That's why I bring it up. But mm. I'm, I'm, uh, I am going to be working on this historic horror next year because there's a lot of research involved of something really fucked up that is unsolved in the town I live in. And um, I went to the historic society building. It's literally, you could throw a rock and hit it from my house. And long story short, um, the the people the workers there were very receptive they were fine they're like other people have tried writing about this before and they kind of get facts wrong and they play it off not as fiction and we take the blow for that there's a lot of historians in this area that will call out all this stuff that are are incorrect so um i stopped and i thought i'm like we started talking about because she has an uncle who's a interestingly enough he's the world's leading uh i Apologies if I fuck up the title, but he's the world's leading um, advisor or what have you in Spanish myth. Mm. And uh, she's got a sister that also writes fiction. And we were talking about how for the longest time it was white dudes that kind of ruled the bookshelves, but now everyone's getting the say. And I never thought about this, but I just wanted to write about this train wreck that's an unsolved crime that led to 30 plus dead people, three missing people and, and uh, over 50 to 80. There's not an exact number critically injured from this one train wreck that could have been avoided. Um, I never thought about getting a history right with this. Cause I'm like, well, I'm dealing, I'm dealing with Irish Americans dealing with white people, but I didn't think about like, well, there's historians that, that if you don't take the time to do your research, you're being very ignorant and you can do better than that. And it's mm-hmm. not like to poo-poo anyone, but it's like you're aware of it. So be respectful of the people in the past, of any nation, of any people, you know, even if sure. even if you're American, like get your facts right as best you can. Yeah, yeah, so, totally. I mean, yeah, there's poetic license, of course. Like, artistic license is fine, but like, um, sure. But yeah, like treating it with respect, like not just dumping on, like you say, you know, real people who've really lost their lives or have gone missing. I mean, that's crucial. And uh, I don't mean to get on my, you know, milk crate and preach, but uh, I mean, I'm from this town. Uh, I love it here. And I feel like I love New England, but this feels like home and I kind of mm. want to live here forever. And um, I don't want to step on anyone's toes. And yeah. And I think that you treating the the uh, story in Turkey uh, that way is really nice, and and um, I I don't know. I just hope that more people deal with it that way. Mm. So looking towards that, man. I kind of got off uh, on a tangent, but let's dive into what are you currently reading? Uh, well, I've actually just finished um, Slattery Falls by someone called Brennan Nafaro. I'm not sure if you're <laughs> familiar with him, uh, but I enjoyed the hell out of that, honestly. And I'm not just saying it like to blow smoke up your ass. I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, I I just am a bit of a sucker for like ghost hunting and stuff. And, you know, I used to like watch a lot of the you know really over the top ridiculous TV shows. Um, but I felt the way uh, the book dealt with it was fantastic. And I actually really liked 
the protagonist's breaking of the fourth wall. Um, I thought it was a really nice thing to have throughout, like uh, that commentary, that kind of grounding with the now. Um, and like, I don't want to go too spoilery, so I'm just going to say the house, under the house, what the fuck? Uh, that just <laughs> made me uncomfortable, made me really uncomfortable. So that's what I just finished reading. Um, so I'm reading three things currently. Um, I'm reading The Sadiest by uh, Austrian Spencer. And uh, I've only read the first chapter, but like really wonderful prose and really bleak subject matter. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and like I say, I'm reading Dan Howard's um, uh, The Clearances. It's this working title for uh, Beta Read and yeah, also blown away by the first chapter of that. So it's all gold where I am. What about you guys? Um, I want to jump uh, in. First of all, I... I just wanted to say thank you for the kind words, and then I'll throw it to you, Pat. I appreciate that, man. You're both your time in, you know, picking that up and 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 reading it, and uh, you know, just saying a, saying a couple of nice things about it. Enjoy the hell out of it, yeah. I just wanted to say one comment about Slattery Falls. That ending, um, I beta read that beta read that story, and the whole time I'm just thinking like, this is kind of like Devil's Creek. Uh, yeah, Devil's Creek with by Todd Kiesling mm. at the ending, and it's not that they marry each other, and they're not even they're they just do something different of an underground situation where it's mm. of this world, but it's not, and yeah. it's it's just so cool. And I'm like, man, I wish I thought of that shit. So that's all <laughs> I gotta say, Brennan. Pa- Patrick hasn't read the uh, the. He he read an earlier version, so he doesn't know about the lizard people that come at the end. Oh my god! And the lizard people are so important, especially with their special sunglasses powers. <laughs> You're in for I a treat gonna, when you get to it. No, it's on. I'm I'm going to be reading it, uh, the finalized version soon. But uh, Brennan, what are you currently reading? That's perfect, man. <laughs> like we discussed it beforehand. <laughs> he didn't miss a beat. <laughs> I think Kev should be our new co-host. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I just finished yesterday, and I want to put out there, I finished uh, Stephen King's new one, Billy Summers, which, uh, you know, the the non-Twittery reviews seem to be mostly positive for it, but the Twittery reviews seem to be very negative. Uh, and, you know, the, the only reason I'm bringing it up is because I would like to encourage people who get like 100 200 pages in to keep keep going with it um if uh you know not really a big spoiler but if Alice shows up in the book and you give it 50 pages and you're still not into it then you know put it down but um i i feel like a lot of people put it down and i understand why but I would also encourage them to see it through. And, and on average, if you give a book 200 pages and it's not grabbing you, you should probably put it down. But it, it seems to me that, you know, this is an author who's kind of earned that, you know, yeah. and, and that's, you know, maybe any other author I'd have gotten a bit into that book and said, yeah, not for me. But, you know, you you build up a certain trust between author and reader over the course of a career like that. So I really enjoyed the second half, but especially the last, like say 150, 200 pages. I thought it was, I thought it was really good. Um, and I'm also reading, uh, Glenn Rolfe has a new book coming out in actually when this airs, it comes out tomorrow. Um, August's eyes out through flame tree press and, 
I'm very I'm too early on in it to really say anything, but man, I, I love Glenn's writing, so I know Thank I'm gonna enjoy it. Connie, my God, yes, he's really this guy too. Um, yeah, true. So for me, I started this last night. I'm only a few pages in, but I'm reading Jorah Lansdale's chat book. It's called uh, The Hungry Snow. It's like, I don't know if you guys can see it. It's got this stitched yeah. spine. And um, Death Said Press put it out. Signed copy. I'm like, fuck yeah. This is beautiful. So while I was at Scares I Cared, there was this tape. There was this one table that um, it was this two, these two guys. They were selling... All these paperbacks. I saw Stephen King. I went up there. I'm like, hmm, they're two bucks each. Some are three, so forth. And uh, he's got Robert McCammon. He's got Shizmar. He's he's got. Uh, I got a James Herbert. Um, he's just got a shitload of Lansdale, Peter Schraub, and uh, he showed me this. Uh, it is called. It's called uh, Batman in Terror on the High Skies. Joker yeah. for audio. Audio listeners, the Joker is a uh, pirate. Batman's got a sword. It's, uh, let's see, it's about six, a little under 70 pages long. It's put out by Little Brown, and this goes back to 92, and it's dedicated to uh, his kids, Casey and Keith. Uh, we're going to have Keith on at the end of this month. Can't wait for that. But And Casey's actually going to be on in October. That family's full of talent. So the other book I'm currently listening to, I'm listening to two on audiobooks, Frankenstein, like I talked about. Yeah. And I, I just think it's, it's such good writing and just the history of Mary Shelley's just so sad, but very interesting. I would love to talk to her. Don't think it's going to happen, though. <laughs> and and Brendan shaking his head. The other one is John Langan, The Fisherman. Uh, That's I'm only about an hour or two in, but... I feel like it's safe to say that it's probably going to be one of the best books in any genre I've ever read. It probably is going to be a top 10. Um, it's it's just such good storytelling. Uh, and that's pretty much it for now. I'm, go- I'm, I'm diving every now and then. I'm reading the Books of Blood, Volume 1 through 3, um, when I got time. And I just started this one called, uh, i got to look it up, Mark C- Saber the dude that had that stand with all the paperbacks uh, said that this was the scariest book he has ever read. So I'm like, all right, I got to have it. And that book is called Ill Will by Dan Chaon. C-H-A-O-N. Um, and you said it's terrifying. So that guy's read a lot of horror. I wanted to read it. Uh, let's jump into if you are listening to this and you're interested in going to our websites, deadheadspace.com. We got a store there. We can buy some merch. Uh, just got to click on the store tab. We also have articles by a few lovely guests and reviews of books that we have read. It's pretty much all by the guests that we have on. Uh, sirs, final thoughts, and we'll start with Kev. So, final thoughts. Um, uh, just thanks very much for having me on the show. Um, I hope people have got something out of this and uh yeah just both you guys but also people out there if you're interested in writing in creative stuff then just do it because like there is no time like the present and you never know when the time is going to be taken away from you so uh, just make it happen do what you want to do that's, that's true that's sad but true yeah brandon what are your final thoughts sir yeah i'd, I'd echo that one usually i just say hey kev thanks for your uh sunday afternoon 
Uh, we appreciate your time, but I, I you know, I, I am fully on board with that. Just do it, you know, before you wake up and you're in your late thirties, early forties, and your neck hurts because you slept on your pillow wrong. <laughs> do it now. My final thoughts Can are. Okay. <laughs> my final thoughts are. I, I mean, every word I said, Kev, to my knowledge, is like four or five people that stood out because of how much they told us that they were listening you were one of them and it's we've wanted to have you on for a while so uh below it was a good excuse to have you on that will actually come out what august 17th August 17th exactly so it comes this you're listening to this if you're listening to this when the day comes out it comes out tomorrow so uh, we encourage you to pre-order it or wait a day and buy it uh, Silver Shamrock has a lot of good books out. This is just another addition to that long list of excellent books. Uh, Kev, we really appreciate your time. And I just want to plug the shirt I'm wearing again because I think it's great for any horror nerd. I use it as a compliment. I think <laughs> nerds are awesome. Uh, it's <laughs> it's Zebra Books. It covers all eight books that were published for Zebra Books with uh, Ron. And um, it, it's just for, for me and Brennan, we have talked to a few zebra authors we want to talk to a few more and it's just an interesting time when that wasn't thought of as a very good publisher but nowadays it's like wait a minute they were like the publisher to a lot of us fans and uh now next episode will be episode 109 with glenn rolf and guest host janine pipe that airs next monday we'll be talking about august size that's uh glenn's upcoming book through uh, flame tree press and as always, listeners, we appreciate you choosing us. You have many choices in podcasts. Thank you for sticking with us. You are now leaving Deadhead Space. Can you hear me and Brennan? Clearly. I can hear you super well. How's my mic coming across? Is it okay? It's coming across, yeah. across great. Uh, I'm waking up right now, so if I <laughs> see like... You guys just keep draining the coffee. I've got orange juice here, so uh, I'm also, like, pretending it's the morning as well. <laughs> Welcome to... Can you guys hear that dinging? Can't hear anything in... Okay, that's fucking annoying. i got to figure out how to shut off the notifications. My wife's cell phones... I didn't do this, to be clear. My wife's cell phones text pop up on this computer i don't know why oh she used to have this computer that's why okay there's no rhyme or reason to what's going on you know behind you uh, or any of us that you know the other people can hear i was um i was doing cursed morsels last week and i had fireworks going off outside and he couldn't hear them um so i just Madness. did the episode with fireworks going on you know 100 feet away yeah <laughs> madness <laughs>